Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, guys, let's get right into it. After a very impressive week, the number eight-seeded Brooklyn Nets are now the odds-on favorites to win the playing tournament in the East <laughs> after they... <laughs> They dominated the hapless 76ers last Thursday. Title fades. And scored 53 points yesterday, <laughs> leading them to their third straight victory. Uh, if you didn't listen to the pod last week, please don't, as I went all in on the 76ers, <laughs> forgetting, of course, that Harden crumbles in big games, their coaches Doc Rivers, and Tyrese Maxey is not a part of any big three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Guys, so I, I, I'm back this week. I missed you last week. Amazing, Welcome back. Amazing job as all. I'm just trying to – can I sit on the bench? Can I play? Do I have to wear a mask? Can I not wear a mask? <laughs> like, what are, what are the rules here? I'm not. I'm confused. Which jurisdiction are we in? Can I go in the locker room afterwards? Can we have the – what's happening? I don't understand. Well, are you, you willing you to – You can't go into the locker room. You just get fined 50000 for it. Are you willing to criticize the mayor of Podcastville? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Watch out. Uh, watch out the ringer. We're coming for you. Got change the rules. It's good to be back, though, guys. It's good to be back. Well, it is great to have you back. Obviously, when you're gone, I feel like I have to make provocative comments, this time about the 76ers, <laughs> to you know keep the keep audience's that, yeah. attention and everything. <laughs> hey, D, I, w- I would have been right behind you on those statements. They, they were rolling. <laughs> they were rolling. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they look so great against the Detroit Pistons. I don't know why we're Derek, wrong. don't take too much encouragement from Ryan's uh, assessment of, of the Sixers. He did pick the Lakers to come out of the West, so that's not exactly oh, faring so well. <laughs> Looking good they're, not, Looking good. they're not eliminated yet, but uh, uh, so, yeah, the 76ers, they got when Kedrick popped in the mouth. When back, we're good. No. <laughs> so the Sixers got popped in the mouth, and – What's usually telling in these situations is how a team bounces back in the next game. So all eyes were on that. And then they played the woeful Orlando Magic on Sunday. And what did they do? Well, they barely beat them in overtime. <laughs> then they lost to Denver tonight. So uh, it's not looking too good there. To Jokic and the Jokats, man. That's, not, that's, a tough, that's a tough L to take. <laughs> yeah. Like Jamichael Green's garden hardened down the stretch. Just, this is not a good... <laughs> Did you see in the press conference after the big game when the Nets won and Durant said something along the lines of, you know, we we were just going to run on them because they don't get back on defense. I mean, that's a, <laughs> those are some fighting words right there. <laughs> I guess it was true. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it worked. Or it's just right. I mean, he, he's spent a lot of his time uh, with James Harden. I think he kind of you might know some of his tells. <laughs> exactly. I, I just I just want to say though that I have tremendous respect and for um, for the approach that Ben Simmons and the Nets took to um, his you know his participation or I guess lack thereof but still showing up the game, being on the bench. I heard a lot of people saying 
Oh, why is he there? What's he trying to do? Sell his clothing line. It's so weird that he's there, but he can't play. I thought it was like one of the more mature acts, you know, I've seen in terms of and and a um, to me strong evidence that he actually has dealt with some mental health issues, because if you've ever struggled with anxiety, I'm not saying that's what he struggled with, but like. The whole thing was, oh, he'll be scared. He's too scared. He can't shoot in games. He's scared of the crowd. He's overwhelmed by all these things. So let's say anxiety can be part of it. Now, this, this is, I'm impinging. The lawyer is coming onto Counseling Corner. So, Counselor Derek, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. But from if you ever know someone has, has anxiety, one of the things that you try and help them do is to kind of slowly take steps to kind of address or kind of um, not, not avoid their anxiety. Because in some ways, the avoidance of the anxiety can be – um, feel good and it's like oh I have to deal with that and it can feel good and a relief but then it just kind of makes it even harder to overcome it so the fact that he actually came and sat on the bench as like a positive step in terms of being with his team kind of going into Philadelphia um, it didn't hurt that they absolutely destroyed the Sixers and people st- <laughs> the Sixers fans pivoted quickly from booing him to booing Harden. <laughs> so uh, Durant and Kyrie took care of the important part. But I just thought it was really cool that he went and I was cool that he sat on the bench and was there. And I think, it, again, it, like to me, it was evidence that he does have, um, you know, has had some real mental health issues related to what he's gone through. And I've sort of not under, not known. I mean, we, no one knows for sure, but some of the activities made you think maybe, maybe not. But this was definitely evidence to me that he did, and he's actually getting some good, um, making some good decisions, having some good advice. And the, the Nets have been involved with that too. Because I thought a lot of times the most matured thing is to kind of go – do the in-between thing, do the kind of, it's not like, oh, just don't go or play, but you took the middle ground. So, um, and I think it's interesting because it's like now coming out that this back injury that people thought was a fake, and I think I even joked was like a fake thing is actually like a real thing. And was that like, reported by Clutch? Uh, <laughs> a New York Post talking to various orthopedic surgeons, but maybe everyone's on the payroll of Clutch. I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe that's, they've brought in their own medical staff. Um, but I just, I just thought it was actually really cool that he did that. And I think, um, yeah, it definitely gave me like, again, a bit more, I think respect for what he's kind of been going through and then also the step he took to do it. So, um, no, cheers, Ben Simmons, uh, cheers to Ben Simmons. What's happened to the three and D podcast? Ryan's giving uh, Simmons his, his kudos. What's next? Are you going to give Popovich his flowers? We'll get to that. We'll get to that, Michael. It's coming. (laughs) We'll get to don't that too. don't no, skip ahead. No, but I think that was well said. If hypothetically speaking, if he was healthy, I think playing him in the game would have been a little too soon, a little too much exposure. But this was a, like you said, kind of a measured approach of exposure. And yes, anything to not have aversion, the avoidance only perpetuates the anxiety. So. Um, I'm sure the Sixers didn't particularly enjoy watching him cheer over there on the sidelines. And, uh, and the effect, especially now that he made it out of Philly alive, it, it does look like a, you know, a, a really good decision and uh, looks good for Simmons. And I, and, I, and I do think the fact that he has Patty Mills is underrated that he's on the team, both being Australian, like Mills, uh, yeah. um, the pride of St. Mary's on the St. Mary's Hall of Fame, uh, the, hmm. our, our local, our local school go, go Gales. Um, 
he, you know, he, I, he was some of the guys criticized him a lot. I know Bogut did when he didn't play in the Olympics last year. And he's obviously a very complicated individual in terms of, like, it'd be nice if he just got down and played. But um, I think he's been criticized maybe some of the other Australian basketball players. But um, he's always had um, support. And so I think having that relationship there is actually really kind of underrated importance, uh, you know, for him. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how this plays out. Um and it was it was also interesting to see how Kyrie like really played hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I mean he's he been a, he's been a man, man, on, us, man yeah. on a mission. I mean he had the fifty point game right before that. It's just we always I mean, it, it's tough sometimes to have your favorite sport be a sport that you say if they're really playing hard, it's really amazing to watch because it's like oh man. But yeah, when, you remember when Kyrie's engaged, he is he is a handful. So and it was also fun to see Seth Curry was having some fun. Talking trash to the yeah. bench too, and <laughs> so watch what you wish for. He's tired of being. He thought he had made it. He's playing for his father-in-law. He had gotten the job from his father-in-law. It was the nice, nice job up in Rochester, paid well. Um, but no, it wasn't meant to be, man. He got he got dealt again. So it was his time to shine as well. We'll see what happens. But it was it's definitely will. a fun a fun night for for the Nets. Going forward for a while, they will be spending holidays with the Curry side of the family. Um, Austin already started that trend. So. <laughs> nice one. It is curious. It is, I mean, the, the one gentleman who we have not mentioned in, in this you know, discussion around the Nets is Kevin Durant's return. I mean, it's sort of business oh, back, so back to normal with Durant in the, in the house, whether it's kind of you know pulling them through – uh, the Knicks here a couple of days ago, but also just, you know, he just so he's so versatile. He's so good. I mean, there's some games where he doesn't need to score as much. Right. It's just he, you just realize how good he is. The fact that he comes back from being gone, what, six weeks and all of a sudden he's he's like immediately a top three player in the league. I mean, it's just it's not it's in some ways probably what we should expect at this point. But it still is surprising nonetheless to watch him do that. And, and you kind of forget you kind of wonder, like. If some of this stuff is changing with restrictions around Kyrie, how much he can play. If Simmons, you know, if the back stuff does have some merit but can kind of resolve itself, and Durant is full strength, I mean, you know, the the Nets that at least we've come to expect now maybe kind of coming around as they enter into the playoffs, and all of a sudden the Miami Heat in the one seed or the Bucks in the two seed or the Sixers in the three seed or, you know, however that shakes out, like, is not – you know, the Nets are in all likelihood are going to be in the plan, but they'll probably be the seventh seed at that point. And if they are, then, you know, obviously that'll be a rude awakening for whoever that two seed is. It was all part of the master plan. Maury, Maury took, uh, took Harden and beat aside before the Nets game. And he showed them the standings. And he's like, you know what to do, guys. You know what to do. <laughs> Don't get above the three spot. Three, four, five, six, all good. <laughs> One, two, bad. Let's yeah, just do yeah. it. Let's get to it. <laughs> Sandbagging. But he's, yeah, I mean, Durant is, I mean, he was hurt. He, he had the last year in Golden State. He was hurt. He came back last year. I mean, he was incredible, especially in the playoffs. He's the best player in the world in the, in the Olympics. He you know, wins the gold medal. But there's all this weird stuff with Harden, all this stuff going on. And then he comes back, and he is just – his ability to get his shot, get to his spot and take his shot whenever he wants against whoever he wants, 
you know, at his age, it's just it's just phenomenal. And the all around game, always underrated part of him is that he is a like very disciplined, fundamentally sound defensive player, team defender, rebounder. Like he's very thin. He's obviously focused on the offensive end, but he is a good defensive player. And particularly at higher level moments when he can focus, and he has all the energy brought to bear. He can be a difference maker on defense. And it was fun to see him and Embiid engage and have some back and forth as well. That's what we're looking for, referees. That's what we're looking for, <laughs> NBA office. Like, yes, people shouldn't be throwing people to the ground anymore and hurting them. And, like, people shouldn't be fighting. But there's an ability to have the intensity and the, um, again, sort of the caricatures come out in in, in these high-intensity um, contests. And then you saw LeBron on Twitter saying how great it was that the refs let them have that moment, mm-hmm. particularly where they went back and forth, and there was a lot of back and forth that went there. And I think they should – they should find a way to to allow that, particularly one of the, the best players, because I think it just it creates this sense of like these guys really want to beat each other. And obviously the hardened stuff and all the drama around it is is what motivated that. But it was just fun to see those two great players like come at each other and be ready to go with each other and engage in that way. And it not just to be teed up and like, oh, like walk to your you know go to the neutral corner or something it's like that's the type of thing we we want to see and i and i think somehow along the way and i think we blame the player empowerment part or like the fact that everyone's friends from au or what have you but i think part of it is the way the games are refereed don't allow those players to do that and they're so scared of like you know it's like you know danny ainge is gonna go after greg anthony and try and choke him or something you know it's gonna be like a a blood in the garden scenario or something and it's like we can still let the big time guys like talk trash to each other and get fired up about things without you know rushing in immediately so again let's let's on the margins at least a little wwe efficacy of the of the nba is, is a good thing and i was glad to see that and I do apologize. We we do not yet have the transcript this time of the uh, trash talk war between the MD research and team is not uh, is not working. The research uh, team. Well, if you might recall from last time, Matisse Thibel was the inside source, so he's been uh, a little down these days. He's taken a few shots uh, in the media oh. with uh, his lack of offensive prowess. So. I know Doc says Doc is something like he's got to be. I think tonight he says something. He's got he didn't get as many minutes. Like he has to be ultra engaged defensively and he had like six steals and two blocks it's like what do you he's just by being there that's what he is doc just relax i know you wish he could like shoot 40 percent from three we all do but just like (laughs) shaq milton not the answer doc not the answer no 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 i do i will say and then on the trash talk front uh kevin durant went to legendary status in trash talk when i think he shot over evan fournier and right, the, the the common refrain against taller players scoring over shorter players is to sort of point at them and, you know, kind of mimic how tall they actually are and that they're too small, right? Doncic did this earlier to Patrick Beverly. Yeah, it's a too effing Beverly, small. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I don't I don't Got I don't know French, too. but the rumor was that Kevin Durant said something in French that was translated as too small to Evan Fournier, which is absolutely legendary. Like that's like the best thing I've ever heard. Yes. And then, and then not only did he say too small where you hold, you hold your hand down by your waist. He actually did his index finger and his thumb. Uh, so, so, so close together. 
yes. actually signaling even smaller than that. So it was. Uh, she, that should be the next NBA international commercial. It should cut. That should be it. That should be the next European NBA commercial. Should be that with so, the English subtitles of him of talking trash to Evan Fournier. This is great. Let's build it up. I am. I'm guessing that Kobe Bryant used to do that all the time because he spoke several languages. He had a real knack for an ear for languages. He he probably got away with that for years. Yeah, what did he say to yeah, Bargnani? Like, really, is what, is what the real question is. <laughs> it's like they always say about the guys who play, you know, they play like Major League Baseball. There's a lot of Spanish speakers or other, you know, uh, Japanese other languages. It's like, oh, they always learn to swear first. You always learn to swear first in your in your in your teammates' language of choice of, of birth. It's like that's always it's always the. How do I say that again? Okay, great, great, great. We all been in Spanish class, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> Miss Miss McCandless, Senora McCandless Buck. You know, she didn't really like the. Oh the, yes, so much, yes. Yeah. Nice there, is a, there. It, there is like a half dozen different stories of Ichiro coming out of nowhere, like off the top ropes, yelling "f you" at some but at some different coach or player from a different team in spring training, which are always the best because <laughs> I, he was here for twenty years and he literally always used a translator. And, you know, clue. Uh, yeah, like, Ichiro. You know, yeah. Acted like yeah. he didn't. Oh, know he. That's right, because when he would, he would walk by reporters and say, no, I don't speak English, and his pronunciation was always perfect. Like, <laughs> All right, guys, we, we mentioned Popovich. we got to touch on some things around the league. We noted last week that Pop had tied Don Nelson for most coaching wins, but it's now official that Popovich surpassed Nelson and is now the all-time leader in coaching wins. There was another outpouring of support across the league, and this five-word treat from Bob Hill, which was, it should have been me. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's, a, that's a joke. Popovich had Hill's Twitter account disabled many years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, yeah I, I guess I'm supporting Ben Simmons and Greg Popovich tonight. So, you know, I've been gone, I've been gone two weeks. It's a whole new me. Uh, <laughs> I, I did in, all, in the midst of all of the, the outpouring D that you described. I did see one, um, you know, one um, one statement or kind of interview with Monty Williams, and Monty Williams was describing mm-hmm. his relationship with Popovich. And as is as our listeners know, we're all big fans of of Monty from the days of his assistant in Portland, where <laughs> D Love, you you know, he's he's the man, and obviously he's gone through a lot in his life, particularly losing his wife uh, a few years ago in the tragic circumstances. And and I'd always known that you know basically the Spurs like brought him on at that point just to kind of um, they gave him a front office job and basically just brought him back into the fold so he could kind of like just kind of recover through that, you know, horrible experience. So I, I know that, and I think in the end he actually, you know, became engaged. I think he's remarried a woman from San Antonio. So it's like, you kind of are like, wow, that's just an amazing, I, I knew that background, but, but Monty Williams said that when, um, he, um, when he lost his wife, he, uh, Popovich reached out to him. Like a lot of people did. He said, Popovich out to him and he said, um, Hey, I want to come visit you. I want to come just be with you and hang out with you. And Monty's like, no, no, you don't need to do that. I don't want you to come. And Pop is like, look, this is your biggest problem. Your biggest issue is that you want to do it all by yourself. And your wife was the only person you ever depended on and you don't ever let in. But she's not here now. And you need to let other people in. Like, I'm going to come and be there f- for you. And 
you know, Monty Williams was basically a sideline reporter for Popovich. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was telling him like it was. He was yeah. like, what are you doing, man? Come on. He's And Monty Williams said it was like one of the most profound things anyone's ever said to me. And he came and he was with me and supported me. And, you know, again, knowing some of that background and experience of, of him going to San Antonio and then, you know, rebuilding his life. So, um, you know, Popovich, it, it, it's it's. I don't know. It's just, it's like life. It's like any side of life, but also I think sports, particularly, it's a lot of shallow engagement. A lot of people trying to engage, kind of in a way that's not real. And obviously, Popovich does value relationships, particularly the people who've been in his orbit in life. So, um, you know, that was a really cool story. So I wanted to share that and yeah, tip the cap to Popovich. Um, yeah. As he uh, as he surpasses the guy who hired him in the league. I forgot about yes. that. I always yes. thought of him as a Larry Brown guy because he coached for him in college, coached with him in college, and but Nelly hired him and he was his assistant. I mean, it's pretty crazy. In Golden State, yeah. I had thought that it was Milwaukee, but I was like, oh no, it's yeah. it Golden State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that's it. To not only have been the guy and then have the guy you brought into the league from nowhere, basically. I mean, he I think he coached at Kansas at that point with Larry Brown, but like he was not a pro guy at all and brought him on as an assistant. And it was, he had a cool statement, too. Nelson was like, he came into in the Warriors and he immediately helped start, like, or contribute to, like, sort of late-night basketball, which I think was kind of a thing back in the 90s. But he, he contributed to help get started in Oakland, and he was, like, investing in the community immediately. So Popovich, grumpy, but a grumpy good guy. So good <laughs> for him, man. Well said. Yeah, and we were obviously poking fun at him being a – a lifer and that he just lives for the grind but he has always had that perspective that he's talked about before which is that in the grand scheme of things basketball is not as important as uh everyone makes it out to be and he recognized that the you know there's the human moments to connect with people and i mean even like with craig sager like yeah they had a what appeared to be a pretty um he was always the most cantankerous with Craig Sager. Yeah. Of course, Sager was diagnosed with, with cancer, but like he really spent time with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, over the last year of his life, it, you know, doesn't you should still treat him a little better. No, in, but in front it's, of a national audience, but <laughs> you get it more. There's a lot of those stories. Yeah, you him. see it more, and I think it was the same ESPN piece that these other recollections. One thing it opened. Speaking to your point, D, with Ginobili talking about like how devastated they were all after the Ray Allen game. Um, and I was trying to, rem- and, and, and like pop, like had them all still go to dinner together. And he like took, he like, was that game six or game seven? Do you six. Okay. Six, so this six. Is, okay. Yeah. So this is the, com- <laughs> this is the caveat of this. He said, he was saying how amazing it was that Popovich, they were also devastated by losing that game. And so they all, it seemed like he was saying they all went to dinner that night and they all like kind of, Pop, which was going table to table and telling them it's all going to be okay. And like, I love you guys and you're great. But it's like, they went and lost game seven. So I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, was I, know. Like, I was like, I don't I know. know. I don't know. <laughs> I, know. I, thought, I thought the speech would be, guys, you have one chance to make this right or you're going to suffer <laughs> with this loss for the rest of your life. You better go give everything you have to that game seven. seven. Which, but maybe he really, maybe that's to the point. Popovich is not like, he's, he's like, because it was just like, I was like, is this game six, game seven? Like, this doesn't really line up exactly. Because Shilby kept talking about, oh, the next year we came back and won it, and it was all so great. But I was like, I think you had one more game left where you could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> what do yeah. I know? Yeah. 
I remember too, you know, we joke about how tough it is to interview Pop, whether press conferences, sideline interviews. But I remember after game six, they asked him, you know, where, where does your team go from here? And his response was, well, we uh, we go up to the ramp, which leads us to the bus. And then we'll you know, probably <laughs> grab a, something to eat. And, uh, you know, it's like that was the end of the questions, I think, at that point. <laughs> All right, actually, oh, Ryan, you, you referenced something I'm going to get to in a second here, so I'm going to be repeating something. But uh, other news around the league, Kevin Garnett has joined the pantheon of Celtics greats uh, as the uh, the team retired his jersey this week. Uh, deserving honor, of course, for the Hall of Famer who helped them win the 2008 NBA championship. Notably in attendance was Ray Allen, part of the Celtics Big Three during those years. Uh, who was branded as a traitor for joining the rival Miami Heat in 2011. Uh, Garnett and the Celtics were willing to bury the hatchet. The 2013 Spurs, however, the aforementioned 2013 Spurs, however, will never forgive Ray Allen for joining the Heat. He also showed up at Popovich's uh, victory, too. I'm not sure what he was doing there. <laughs> noting that his traitorous actions resulted in them losing the 2013 NBA Finals. Although, guys, uh, uh, Bob Hill once noted that if Popovich, <laughs> if Popovich would have had Duncan in the game at the end to get that rebound against it, Allen would have not had a shot at the corner three. So, again, things could be turned no, out differently. It's so funny because that's the, that, the same the same piece where Joe was talking about how great Popovich was. He said his his specific comment about that game six was how horrible he felt that he didn't get the rebound at the end of the game, and Popovich consoled him. And I was thinking to myself. D. Love would say, you should have been there, Ginobili. Duncan should have been there for you. Yes. <laughs> you should have been consoling Popovich. For <laughs> that was the one time in Duncan's career where, you know, because he, he's such a mild-mannered guy, where he should have, like, grabbed Popovich and said, I've never asked you for anything before. Let me in that game. I need to get the blanking you Go rebound. reverse, but, uh, reverse anyway. Pippen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, let's see. A couple other things here real quickly. LeBron James is the has become the first player to eclipse 30,000 points, 10,000 assists, and 10,000 rebounds. Uh, but, sorry, Jordan is still better, just so we're clear. <laughs> I mean, it, is, isn't this year a little bit like the Wizard year or two? I mean, this is kind of like what the Wizard year was like, right? Like, like Jordan still did stuff. He got hurt. He was definitely old. He definitely did not keep his body in the same shape LeBron has. Yeah. Um, probably because he took some time off, and yeah. you know he had some other proclivities. But cigars, yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> but it's like this is kind of like that, right? Like you're 20. I mean, it's like their team, like they're gonna make the playoff play in, but it's like their team's pretty bad. It's had a really rough season. He's had a good season, but he's still been hurt some of the time, and they just kind of have gone nowhere. I mean, it just made me think. Like, I look back at those Wizards seasons, it's kind of like, oh, man, like, Jordan, you're my guy always, but that was just a little tough. But it's like, that's basically what LeBron's doing with, like, a few more points and rebounds. <laughs> so. Do you think that's fair, though? I mean, I think I think it's certainly this phase of the season, he's pretty clearly mailing it in. Just He's really trying to get buckets for the, the, the scoring uh, record. But I don't feel like that's the tact he's necessarily taken. I mean... I, I think he's clearly in a different phase, but I don't know if he's at Wizards Jordan era, just in the sense that 
I mean, he, you know, he single-handedly won that Warriors game a couple weeks ago. I mean, he he has he was doing things throughout much early in the season, you know, when he, him and Davis were both healthy. That was still made a comp- ah, but 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 he had Davis. I mean, like Jordan had Kwame Brown. He drafted him. It was his fault. But just like that, later, look at that. The, par- the parallels. Look at that. LeBron brings in Westbrook. He complains about it all the time. Jordan brings in Kwame. He complains about it all the time. I don't know, man. I think you're making my argument for me, youngster. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. That really was a bad team, that Wizards team. I think Christian Leitner was like the starting power forward when he was averaging 10 points a game. Uh, Rip Hamilton was like the other. Yeah, you know, he was like the guy who relied on that stack house. He eventually got stack house, I think. I mean, it was not, there wasn't a lot going on there. It's just, no, there wasn't. It just, that's what it reminds me of. I'm not saying, I mean, LeBron's playing at a higher level. Um, but I mean, Jordan averaged 23. It wasn't like he shot 41%. But twenty three five and five. I mean, it's not like I don't know. You, I just I always look back at that. I'm like, oh, like that's so different than the rest of his peak. But like, what LeBron is doing right now is a lot closer to that Jordan than the Jordan peak ninety eight Jordan. So didn't Jordan squeeze in a fifty point game on the? Yeah, these old guys they can do it every once in a while, just like LeBron did, right? He threw a yeah. fifty piece up, you know. Right, <laughs> he can right. still get away with it. All the guys are intimidated by him. He's mad all the time. Like you see him tonight, he's like slamming the ball down. All these crappy players in the team are like looking around awkwardly. Like, this is my hero, and he's like cursing me out. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I mean, I guess if one of the Jordan sons had been a little bit better at basketball, maybe he would have hung around longer too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, I, I don't. I, I, I think that's probably that this verges on sacrilege, to be really honest. I'm not sure we can get there. I, <laughs> I am. I am. They were no, they were 30. Michael, they were 37 and 45 in his two seasons. Like, that's what they're they're going to be. Wor- they're going to be worse than that this year. Like, they're they're terrible. And they don't have Anthony Davis. But if you give in Jordan, Anthony Davis, I think his teams would have been better. Than, they wouldn't want a title. I'm not saying that. I mean, I, I also saying. think there's a conceptual component where where the Wizards in 2001 were in a very different NBA than I think the modern day current NBA. I mean, that that league had been was pretty substantially diluted. I mean, that was a that was a there was a that Sixers team that made the finals in 01 was like one of the worst finals participants in the last like 30 they years. Were, reminds me a little bit of the Miami Heat, I think, is kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a team that's so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the Wizards weren't the op- weren't their opponents. Like, I mean, I think... I know, because they, they, they didn't have Anthony Davis. And also, that was the that was the fifth or sixth year of the greatest draft in the history of the NBA. So I don't think the talent was that bad. I mean, it was like, you know, you had, you have like, peak Kobe and Shaq. You have, like, like it's it's it's... I wouldn't say it was like significantly worse than what we're seeing right now. I mean, it's sort of a mess at the top, and LeBron can't even get like his team out 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 of the out of the plan. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to say, as I dug into deeper what's going on with LeBron right now, it's like it's not that far off. It's not that far off from 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 that. And you know, I mean, they like he can't take a crappy group of guys and get them in the playoffs. Like the real playoffs, he can't. He's just he could have. Like I 10 think years that's ago. definitely true, but I also think like yes, I, I think and, and and Jordan couldn't do it either. He got him to thirty-seven. Yeah, but that doesn't make them the nothing. same. I'm not saying I didn't say they were the exact same. I'm just saying that it's like a lot closer to like LeBron right now is a lot closer to Wizards Jordan than anyone wants to admit. Sure. 
Younger brother, older brother, generation argument. These are great. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, were you were we done on that anymore? Uh, I have a few over the points. The old guy on the couch continue to have delusions. I'll let it go. What are you saying about delusions, D? No, but we don't know it. Like they're free. Everyone should have some. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, one more thing to mention here: Blazers wingman Josh Hart has scored seventy-five points over the last two games after playing horrific the previous three games. And I think this is now the highlight of the Blazers' season, so we're trying to just enjoy it. Well, do you think that, Jody uh, Allen, now that she tore down the Seahawks, she's going to drive down to Portland and, and have a conversation with Josh Hart about how they're trying to tank? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You must have not, not got the memo, I guess. I think she's like, Pete Carroll has a C last name. Joe Cronin has a C last name. You're, you're my Pete Carroll, Joe. Do whatever you want to do here. You Seriously. want to run off the best players we got? Then just do it. I will oh, say, did you, did you see that, that that night that that happened, that Clarkson also went for 45? Like, could you think of a – I couldn't think of, like, a more random night where two, like, these two random guys went for, like, you know, in the mid-40s. It just, just – it was a, such a wild thing for me to see both Hart and Clarkson. I was like, wait, these two guys? Like – well, it's so weird. Remember, I think a couple weeks ago, it's like Hart and then Lonzo Ball are like perfect. They're like perfect role players on like good teams. Like it's just they're competitive. Like Hart, can, he's getting a chance. He's he's shooting his best shot, man. Um, I did think though when I was out, like I was trying to think of the equivalent of Russell Wilson being traded and what the NBA equivalent of that would be. Now, test this out. I think Russell Wilson is Jimmy Butler. And I think it's someone that is is like when he was with the Bulls and they looked at it and they're like, do we want to pay the Supermax to Jimmy Butler? And they're like, Jimmy Butler's really good and he's built out an amazing career for himself being a late first-round pick and he's like you know, mar- borderline all-star or all-star player at this point. But we don't necessarily see him being worth like the full max, like whatever it was at that point. So they trade him. And he's also a complicated fellow, maybe a little bit like the quarterback in Seattle was. And so we're going to we're going to trade him um because like we don't want to spend the money on this guy. So they trade him. And so basically I think Jimmy Butler would be the best case scenario for Russell Wilson if you're a Broncos fan is that he just keeps getting better and better and better and we all go, "Oh wow, like how did Jimmy like besides being a jerk Sometimes, how did Jimmy leave Chicago to Minnesota to Philadelphia to Miami and then eventually get to the finals? You know, like if Russ gets into the Super Bowl, I think that's what it is because everything about Russ has been, oh, they didn't want to pay him the 50 million. He's a pain in the butt, just like Jimmy, but in his own way. And they didn't want to pay him the Aaron Rodgers money. Now, the weird part is the cap's going up a ton. So it's not like, like all quarterbacks are going to be on the Rodgers scale. Now, you don't want to give. You don't want to give Russell the Rodgers money. Like, that's your choice. And it's like, you know. Well, he becomes a Kirk Cousins problem, right? Yeah, but, like, people are trying to get Kirk Cousins. He just he just, he just got an extension. Well, that's, but <laughs> so that's the problem, like, right? Is like, you know, Kirk Cousins is a fine quarterback, but is, is he ever going to actually win you a Super Bowl? But that's the Jimmy Butler thing. But then I think the problem is with that thinking is, would it have been nice for the Bulls to go to the finals at some point the last five or six years before they actually started getting decent again? Like, that's that's the tension, I think. Is it's like, I, I think in an ideal world, you trade Jimmy Butler, you trade Russell Wilson, and you get, like, 
Aaron Rodgers or you get like Kevin Durant or someone who's like clearly like better. But then at the same time, you miss out on like four or five years of being good. And you might you never know if you'll get the Super Bowl or get to the finals and have a chance. Like they came pretty close. I mean, they came pretty close in the finals. Drock doesn't get hurt. You know, you never know. He played his heart out and it may never happen again. Like he seems to be on the back end now. And the same thing may help happen with Wilson. But I mean, they are the one that, seed in the, in the East as we speak, right? I mean, that's the, I actually really like this comp. I mean, what does that mean that like Russ is going to like show up in camp and start ripping Jerry Judy and Javante Williams for not taking <laughs> like the game too serious, like seriously enough. Well, it's all the drama is going to come and all the people who like know kind of all the drama who follow the Seahawks closely are going to be whatever, like that drama that starts happening. There has to be tension between Russ and the defense, Russ and like the receipt. Like there's all this stuff starts happening and it's like, Oh wow. Like that was part of the reason like Jimmy Butler, like was mean to like (laughs) all the young guys in Chicago. (laughs) And then when Rondo and Wade were there and then he was mean to the young guys of Minnesota and then he was mean to Ben Simmons. (laughs) And then, you know, he wasn't mean to Adebayo really, except for when he like (laughs) rolled his eyes at him after he made missed those free throws last year. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I, I just, I just think it's a really, it's so hard for these teams that have, someone who's really good but not necessarily automatically great because what would you say russell wilson's like five to ten in terms of quarterbacks maybe eight to ten if you're kind yeah. of not being as kind to him maybe if you're kind to him you're saying like five to eight yeah it's i would say i would say right in that area and then it's uh well i'm actually curious now, just since we're on the topic can the broncos win the afc next year I mean, they, can they win their division? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have your guy. I'd rather have your guy, D, than Russ at this point. And I'm a, I am I wish the Hawks had kept Russ. So <laughs> it's like Herbert and uh, Mahomes, man. That's not easy. That's not easy pickings for him. <laughs> well, I ask it because I am curious just to play this out because we know sometimes the environment can make all of the, all the difference, right? We don't know how good uh, – Archie Manning could have been if he didn't play for like the worst yeah. team ever, the New Orleans Saints, and were the Seahawks flawed enough with uh, their offensive line or whatever that if he gets in the perfect environment for him, we might see a resurgence. Like even, I mean, you see some of these high, these elite quarterbacks, they sometimes have a drop off and then a resurgence. Like Rodgers actually had a year or two where everyone's like, is he, you know, is he losing his fastball? Um, you know, is he on the decline? And then he had some of his best years ever. Then so, you're like, oh, wait, Mike so McCarthy that... was a horrible coach holding him back for a decade. Yeah. I mean, I do think, like, for what I mean, you guys would maybe know better, but it does seem like if you were, like, just trading rosters, like, their rosters in, like, a stronger place than the Seahawks. And they're yeah. also going to, like, kind of give him the type of offense that he wants. Like, I mean, he's going to have Aaron Rodgers offense. Like he, they have Aaron Rodgers as offensive coordinator is now his coach. So he's going to get a chance to do that. And I, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm pulling for him. I, I, I think it'd be great if he Jimmy Butlered it and they like went to the Super Bowl next year, or two years, or something. And it's just like, he shows everybody that he actually is the guy he thought he was. And he shows, you know, Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and, you know, um, Marshawn Lynch and Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Like, I, I think that actually be really, like, really cool because it is such a crazy story how, 
like he is was not liked by his like by the in the we all know the defensive stuff coming out of that Super Bowl loss and the interception like he wasn't really liked at all it is by his like the, he just was not liked at all like he wasn't like this beloved guy like this is his team but I just wonder if some of that just came out of the dynamic of he came in as a nobody third rounder to like play quarterback for like the greatest defense of the modern era <laughs> for a coach who just wants to three yards and clouds of dust it. And like, we'll see what does in Denver. I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Michael? Do you, what, what's your, what's your uh, NFL take hot take on? Well, I just, Where I think the- I'm concerned he's on the downside. I, I think D is right though. I mean, Rogers, I mean that Jordan love the revisionist history is that Jordan love was selected because they were trying to push Rogers out, but actually Rogers wasn't, you know, I think the season, particularly right before the draft, he was actually pretty good. But there's a f- number of seasons before that where he was sort of he was dwindling. You kind of wondered, you know, we didn't. Oh wait, I don't think we realized that he's the pettiest quarterback of all time. I mean, he's like he's on like MJ's level of pettiness. That like they all they needed to do is use, waste a first round pick and they'd get the MVP back. So, you know, I just he's at a different level though because he's also petty towards his family. I mean, that's like I don't think Jordan was ever like that with his mom and dad. Like. Like, I don't know what's going on there necessarily, but I'm just saying, like, Rodgers is kind of like, he's equal opportunity, man. Everybody gets it. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> he keeps receipts on everybody. And I, and I honestly, I think it was because remember he came out with that statement. He got, they, they announced he did the $50 million deal. And then right after that, Russ got traded because the Broncos couldn't get Rodgers anymore. And then Rodgers came out with a statement saying, Oh, this is, I am coming back, but the details have not been finalized yet. That was totally Russ. That was a hundred percent. He hates Russell Wilson. He hates him. <laughs> like if you're at the top of his list, it's like his brother who went on the Bachelorette, and then it's Russell Wilson. It's like <laughs> up there, you know. It, it is like he. I don't know if you remember, like after the NFC Championship game when. You know, Russ did not have a good game, and we still Hawks the won. Fake punt game, the like, fake field goal game, fake field goal, the kick, onside kick yeah. game, and after the game, Russ is like, "Oh God, was always I never lost faith. God is good. He always, he, you know, he gave sort of that afterwards." And the next year, after after the Packers beat the Seahawks, like Rogers brought it up. It was like, I don't believe God <laughs> operates that way. I think it's so like dumb to say that God doesn't care. It's just a game. Like it was like. Theology, quarterback theology. Here we go, you know. And so I, I think he came out because Russ did that happened, and he was just like, he's petty about Russ, and so he made that statement. Like I think that was a hundred percent what what motivated it. But I love I love that theory, Michael, because it makes sense in a way. It's like maybe it was like the galaxy brain where Maury like sat down and beat and hardened and said just like throw the towel, like give it in to the Nets, let them have it, so we can get the third seed and avoid them. Maybe the you know, the president and general manager of the Packers is like, look, we're going to get Jordan Love. We're going to waste a pick on a quarterback that will never play here. But Rodgers is going to go nuts. He's going to be the best. <laughs> we're going to have to deal with this prima donna BS for the next four years, but we're going to be so good. He's going to be amazing. Let's do it. Because <laughs> it worked. You're right. He's the best player in the league. I mean, it's crazy. And he's like 40. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just – I think the Broncos have a chance. I mean, obviously, I think having the quarterback, it's table stakes at this point in the NFL, right? You have to have Josh Allen or Mahomes or Rodgers or anyone else to sort of be in the conversation. And Wilson brings that to them. So, that, you know, in that case, I think it makes sense. And I think it's kind of a horrible decision from the Seahawks perspective. But, you know, 
football's a random game. I mean, that's the weirdest thing about the NFL, right? Is that quarterbacks matter and everything else seems to be kind of random. So I'd be curious to see how they build a roster and how he, he does. I, I find myself pulling for him too, despite all his foibles, just because I think he is, you know, he's a fun player and he's, he's an enjoying guy to watch. I'm curious how he ages, but you know. Yeah. I mean, you're so, right. The lack of athletic ability, definitely like he really relied on, I mean, it was like when he had that and the deep ball, it was pretty like dynamic, but then it's like, we still don't know if he could actually throw a slant. Like he actually sees players. He throws, the poster slant too. Yeah. <laughs> in a football game. That's a pretty big it's a pretty big question mark and caused the biggest loss in Seattle history because he probably didn't see uh Butler come in for the interception. But uh, but D, what were you gonna say? Uh, well I was gonna say I know we strayed from the uh, the topic gone to football, but do people not like Russell Wilson because well he's not a jerk. Is it because of like the Roger stuff that he do people perceive him as kind of phony, as kind of naive, or what's what's the reason he's not liked? Yeah, I mean, I think from what I've read, it's it is like he's just not. Um, yeah, people don't think he's think he's fake. Think he's not real. He's sort of like relentlessly positive, and you know, he's just kind of a unique, gotcha. unique, weird dude. I think. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like like anybody, but I think he kind of. Um. And, and I, but I, I do think the circumstances of that team, like there, there will never be another team like that where like, it's just never going to happen. And it was so unique. What Carol and Schneider and all those great defensive players did, like there will never be another defensive first team like that. You'll have defenses like, you know, obviously the Rams played incredible defense to, to win you know, the Super Bowl and Aaron Donald's the best defensive player of the era, but like, there's never going to be a team. that's like, are you know Pete Carroll wants it to be the case but it's not going to happen where like the defense is such they identify like are not just like that they don't just control the team and like they're the key part of the team but they like they are the out there is like complete dominance from the defense and so I think that dynamic was just really where like they had success as a team and then Wilson had a bunch of success individually. You know, it just was like a really weird – just, it just haven't had that happen before. And I also think the fact that he's just kind of a unique dude who, like – I mean, his agent's like his father figure. I mean, he lost his dad, which is really sad. He's like – he has people in his – he just has his camp. He has his crew. It's just a different – he's a different dude. He's a different dynamic. Um, and I think he kind of – I think also the last thing I'd say, I think what happened to Russ was that um, he – he wanted to emulate Brady and Rogers and that's the way to become the, one of the best quarterbacks ever, which is what he wants to be. And we'll see if he can accomplish it or not. But I do think he kind of started being Brady at like 25 as opposed to Brady becoming Brady at like 30, like Brady, when he was like a six round pick was like eating pizza. And like, he was renting an apartment with like, like a bunch of like, you know, special teams guys eating pizza and drinking beer <laughs> every night. So it's like he was like one of the guys for one point. I also think, feel like Russ ever was one of the guys, really. He like never completely fit in. But also that's why he became who he is. But I don't know, Michael, what do you think? Well, I, th- I think that point about the Brady piece, I mean, he basically just has always been mechanical. He's been strategic in terms of his pursuits. And so. It just is. I think it's come off as phony or as false, and it's never. It's never been relatable, in the ways that, you know, 
I think a lot of these guys are and can be, especially in a sport where the camaraderie component is so substantial. Like it's just there. It's hard to sort of just show up to work when you're putting your body on the line in the way that you do for football. Right. And, 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 and Ryan's right. The, the Seahawks defense, I mean, the only reason it worked is because it was, it was a defensive unit. If that was an offensive unit, all those guys would have been, you know, their personalities would not have fit, but because they could all play roles and there wasn't, you know, so to speak, one ball to go around, you know, you had the, the, you had the entire kind of backline DB room. You had the linebackers, you had the, the line of scrimmage guys. And all of a sudden it all sort of like went together. And so I, I just, it, it's going to be curious to see how Russ translates into a new locker room. It'll be curious to see when the hit pieces start to drop, if that, you know, if they kind of hold together or if it like starts to proliferate and, and, you know, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic in football that, you know, you have a quarterback that's unlike any other position in sports in large, large, right. It's like in basketball, you just don't have that, that central focus that has to, you know, be competent to be competitive in the, in the NFL, right. In the NBA, right. You can have a good center or a point guard or a wing or whatever. And, you know, largely, you know, whether it's Jokic and Embiid or LeBron James and Kevin Durant or, you know, Steph Curry, you know, you can kind of slice it a bunch of different ways and that's just not really the case, I guess, in football. And so it'll be curious to, again, see, you know, how, how the new locker room hits. And, you know, hopefully it's at least – hopefully it's entertaining, right? I mean, the NFL – the thing that rang true to me over the last week or two is just, you know, the we're, – we're rapidly approaching the NBA playoffs. March Madness, sort of like all these conference tournaments happen and the brackets get picked. The, the baseball lockout ends. <laughs> and meanwhile, the only thing people are talking about is like the 10 days of random transactions in the NFL. Like it's just, you just, <laughs> it just reminds me why the NFL is like so many laps ahead of any other sporting, you know, enterprise, any sort of form of entertainment at this point. No wonder these franchises are worth billions and billions of dollars in the way that they continue to just dominate the narrative. I mean, it's just, you know, the the joke was that Rodgers got cannibalized by Wilson, right? And the thing Ryan mentioned earlier, but I mean, football was cannibalizing, you know, <laughs> basically every other news source in sports. No, it's I mean, so it's kind of wild to me that, you know, how they've been able to maintain, you know, the the consistency around, you know, owning the narrative, owning the messaging, owning, you know, the news cycles, you know, despite a lot of other compelling stuff. I mean, there's, you know, multiple interesting storylines in the NBA and college hoops and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Baseball coming back. And nonetheless, it's still kind of NFL all the time. That's a great point. Oh, go ahead, D. Oh, I was going to say, they don't even let them trash talk in the NFL. They don't. They've removed the WWF. <laughs> I know. It's, it's terrible. Exactly. Follow. Come on, NBA. You should follow. Wait. Oh, wait. NFL. That's true. <laughs> That's true. No, I, I, I would say I, I feel like the NFL has. It's sort of like we're, we're like the little NBA is like the little brother. And like we had like the one the one toy that we really liked and the older brother had like all the toys. And then the one toy the NBA had, was like how fun it was during free agency in July. And it was just like the, like the hot stove was so, was so fun and exciting. And then NFL was like, Oh wait, we should do that. That'd be great. Let's take that toy. And now their off season is just crazy and like dominating even during our sports. And I, and I, and I feel like they also are, they're, they're kind of now in the little bit more of the sweet spot with the quarterback being such an outlier um, of the of the sort of player empowerment 
idea where basically the quarterbacks are like NBA players and everybody else is just not. Um, and so like Wilson can kind of push and manipulate and try and get to where he wants to be. Rogers can hold the team hostage and do what he wants. Like, I mean, you see this stuff going on with you know, other quarterbacks and the demand for those quarterbacks and what that allows them to do and get away with and kind of, you know, more people are just standing in line for them. So, um, and I think that was like the weird thing with the Hawks. Let's go back to that last point is that like, you know, 10 years ago, you could still have like a quarter, you could still have quarterbacks that were not like top of the league and you could still like what Pete Carroll wants to do now could still happen. But now it's just like, it's very hard when you have quarterbacks that are so good and the league is so favorable to like the quarterback. Um, and so I think like Wilson sort of backdoored his way into being like an elite quarterback. And I don't think anyone like ever thought of him that way. And now to Michael's point in terms of the locker room, he's going to go to, you know, Denver with a bunch of young receivers who like have seen him play in the NFL for a decade. And they're going to be like, I was drew Locke was throwing to me. This is amazing. I love this guy's amazing. <laughs> I'll do whatever he says. Like he says, stand over here. I'll stand over here. It's great. Like Doug Baldwin was his best receiver in Seattle. And Doug Baldwin was had more in common with the defense than Russ. I mean, I think they had their lots of ups and downs. I mean, it was like Doug Baldwin and Mark Marshawn Lynch were the key guys on the offense. And they were, they were, they were like, they were like simpatico with, Sherm and Earl Thomas and the def and, and, and Bennett and the defense. So it, it, it's, it was definitely a unique thing and a, and a special thing. And I think, I think Brock Heward said like the 30 for 30 with the Seahawks is going to be like, if they actually get the full story, is this going to be <laughs> like, that's definitely one to look forward to. Well, Pete Carroll should be happy now because he's never wanted to throw the ball anyway. He just wants to run it over right, right guard for a yard <laughs> or two. Throw second down in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. By the way, on that, I have to say, I actually give more credit to Bill Belichick and the Patriots coaching staff for that Butler interception than I do kind. Uh, give Wilson a hard time. Because the night before, the day before, they were prepping for that play, and they were all riding Butler because he was not jumping the pass quick enough. Yeah, They were yeah. ready for that. And then at the end of the game, the, the, the conventional wisdom was that Belichick should have called a timeout Right, but he looked over and saw that the the Seahawks sideline was in disarray. So he did not use the timeout, and they were not ready to go. He was out. Belichick out, Coach Carroll. Myth making in retrospect <laughs> of this horseshit like tale that has been told so many times by these Boston media types yeah. is such is, 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 is such baloney. I've seen you, the footage. You, you, I've oh, seen the no, footage of the, no, you, you, the Butler. You, you missed the part where Belichick decided. Oh, I'm not going to bring in my goal line defense to try and entrance them to a pass. Don't you want to throw a pass? We're ready for it. Please. I'm not going to put in my big D tackles. I'm going to keep in my prevent right. defense here so we can give him a throw a pass. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Belichick's definitely a much better end of game coach than Pete Carroll, but so are 27 other NFL head coaches. So I'm not sure. That's definitely Touché. never never Pete's, Pete's strength. I know. Why um, didn't Spolstra get that that myth-making treatment? Didn't Spolstra like didn't he Jedi mind trick uh, Popovich to take Duncan out? Isn't that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> Popovich. No, it was Riley. Actually, yeah, Riley's going to take credit it. from the from the suite. He was making eye contact with Popovich and convinced him that he didn't need Duncan in the game. See, it, I wanted it, I wanted to bring up a sensitive topic that I knew that you guys would be on the same side of, especially in light of the uh, 
debate earlier between LeBron, Jordan, you know, that, that was my motivation. You're bringing us back The funny thing is I I call myself a 13. I'm like barely a Seahawks fan. And I actually like sort of hate watch them because of, you know, I just think that it's a dysfunctional franchise. Well, don't worry. We're going to have a number of we're going to have a number of losses upcoming that we'll see who the true fans are. So any of our favorite other 12s will be behind the road. Oh, man. I just realized because they play they, since I was like five years old and started watching NFL. It always has to be the Seahawks on TV, even in Portland, where we don't care about the Seahawks. Hey, you guys. Well, you guys have reasons to pull for the Seahawks. But uh, oh boy, it's not going to be fun viewing next year. I have Blazers games blacked out in Seattle, so those are force fed on me. (laughs) We 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 the Seahawks own the Pacific Northwest, Derek. I will have you say that is that is Uh, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, (laughs) Montana. We're huge in Alaska, baby. We are huge in Alaska. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting the red zone next year. I can't I can't do another season of that. It's funny though. You you mentioned the. you mentioned that uh, Spurs championship. It, it was interesting, like, like looking back at Popovich's career, where you know they they won the titles with Robinson, and then they were like so great with Duncan, and they won the two more titles. They won the second title. I guess that was like the 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 game where they beat, where um, the Suns came off the bench and they beat they beat the Suns, and then they won the title that year, oh six oh seven. And then they really like that's probably why that loss hurt so bad against Ray Allen was that they had been in the in the wilderness for a while like they had been a couple conference finals you know they lost to the to the Thunder the conference finals the year before they had lost in the first round a couple times like it was but the kinda, Lakers owned them yeah yeah the Lakers, it, it was yeah. not good and then they won that next year and then you know with um, I guess the conference finals in, tw- in seventeen when when um, Kawhi got hurt and then it was you know all she wrote at that point, but it's kind of an interesting career. Like he had all that early success, um, you know, with, uh, and then it was like a long time of not having the top success, win a title, barely lose, win a title, and then kind of come off. And then obviously the last few years have been, it's just kind of like an interesting, I mean, it's incredible. The longevity is incredible, but it's not, I don't know. It's a little more Do- well, Nelson-esque than I would have expected. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember the, the criticism from Phil Jackson was that, uh, I don't know if he would still say it now, but uh, he'd say that they weren't a dynasty because they didn't win back-to-back. Uh, now, that you win five titles here in a, in a relatively short period of time. It's, that's, that's dynasty level to me. But, I mean, they, we've, I think we've asked that before. Would they have won in 2014 if they would have won in 2013, because they were like a team on a mission oh, right, to right, make right, things right, right. right, you know, like right. would they still have had the the motivation to, you know, to, to, to win back to back. But I think it was the the second year they won titles when they beat the Nets, like 2003, and yeah. that was pretty easy. But that that was Duncan a, just going crazy. He had like a 20, yeah, 20, 20 game or something. Yeah, that was crazy. like once they beat the Lakers in the semis or whatever, they were, you know, they done. pretty much had it won. Yeah. yeah. But the, the year they beat the Pistons – was really interesting because I think they had to win game six and seven at home and the Pistons were that close to repeating because uh, they beat the Lakers the, the year before. Is that the Ori year? Yeah, they yeah. had some Robert Ori heroics in, uh, uh, I think it was game game five. Yeah, game five. Rashid left him. On the road, Rashid yeah. Rashid left him at the top, man. Chris Webber didn't that get... Was, that was like the best Pistons team. They had Rashid the whole season. I mean, that was like... 
they had really yeah. coalesced coming off of that championship. And, yeah, and they beat Miami when uh, Miami was the number one seed, I think, when uh, our guy Stan Van Gundy was coaching. The, oh, no. and it was Shaq and, uh, Shaq and Wade. Beginning of the end, but Stan. They, yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill <laughs> from there. That would Riley was like, I would not have lost that series if I were coaching. So, yeah. I love that Riley is still just going strong. I mean, he's just yeah. going. Yeah, it's impressive. No, he's got the long. I remember. His, I think he had a, his mother lived until like really late age, and it's like uh, he's got the longevity in him, and he's uh, yeah, he hasn't lost his uh, enthusiasm. That's for sure. I'm curious to see how Adrian Brody plays him in the uh, Showtime show. Oh, the HBO, yeah. The HBO show about the Showtime Lakers. Right, right. John C. Riley, bus. Should have been feral. Should have been feral. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched it yet? I mean, there's been a lot of criticism about how Jerry, Jerry West is portrayed pretty negatively. <laughs> have you guys watched the first episode? Well, I think no, but the, he looks like West. He does, but he, he's portrayed yeah. in a way that's like very... He's a jerk. He's basically just a jerk. Yeah, I mean, right? at one point he like... throws his Finals MVP trophy through his office window. <laughs> <laughs> he snaps a putter over his knee in the middle of a scene. <laughs> well, I, it's funny because I, I didn't. You, I think you read the whole book, right? Did you read the whole the Showtime book, D? Like the yeah, book I did, yeah. based on. I, yeah. I, I started it, and I, and I haven't finished yet. It, I, I'm, I want to, but I remember. Like he, Perlman, the author, definitely like points out that like West did not want magic, and it was like kind of like I feel like it was sort of like his, it was sort of like not revisionist history, but sort of correcting the narrative of like oh Jerry West is like the greatest ever, and it was kind of like revealing that he's not, and then I feel like the, they've dramatized it to be like so off the charts. It's like no, Jer- everyone likes Jerry West to interact with him. He's just totally miserable all the time. It's not, it's not like. I don't think people like didn't like working with him. It's just like he isn't like himself at all, even yeah. though he's like the greatest, greatest guy ever. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's gotten good reviews. It seems like um, I'm always a trailer guy. Once I see a trailer, I get so excited for something. It always kind of <laughs> always underperforms a little bit. But it's nice that McKay is a huge basketball fan. So at least, you know, you're good hands that way. Yeah. All right, guys, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, let's see. Our apologies to Bob Hill. He was he, he decided so that he could he could make it, and then just it was too much. Too we much gotta get him on the pod. We gotta get him on the pod. Out of the interview list. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.